Jeremiah chapter 4, Jeremiah 4, continuing our study here through the book of Jeremiah, and this is our third week in the study of Jeremiah, and like I said, we're actually going at a pretty good pace. We're going to try to do chapters 4, 5, and 6 tonight as we go through this. First off, did you note, did anybody notice I picked festive colors, the sheets, green and red? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, your fake applause means a lot to me this holiday season. It is our last Wednesday before Christmas. So with that being said, since this is a festive holiday season, let's talk about judgment again. Um, because I, I tell you this, and I was going through the lesson here of Jeremiah, and I, and I want to tell everybody here, if you've never studied the book of Jeremiah before, just, just bear with us. We get through the judgment stuff here. It actually gets through pretty quick. But God really lays down his case here in the first few chapters of Jeremiah. And it's not the reason we're going quickly through it, but it's the points that we've covered before. But a lot of it is stuff we need to hear. Last week was a lot about backsliding. And that's something that I think all believers need to hear because, to be honest, all believers will go through a phase in your life, like I mentioned last week, and maybe a few hours, and maybe a few days, and maybe a few weeks, and maybe a few months, but there's going to be times where you're not spiritually as strong as you should be. So we talked about that last week. Now here in Jeremiah 4 through 6, real quick, if you look at the background stuff, three quick points that just set the scene for us. The first one, Babylon will invade Judah from the north. That's going to happen. 586 B.C., Babylon comes down and destroys Jerusalem. That's what Jeremiah is warning people about. Now it's not going to happen for another 40 years. So when you read these chapters tonight, and it's really easy to sit here and say, boy, God's a mean God. No, he's the angry guy that lives upstairs, and he's just never happy about anything. No, he's telling them 40 years in advance this is going to happen, and he's telling them, repent. See, this is the thing. When we went through our study in the book of Revelation, what did we always say? Anytime you see judgment, you also see grace. If God is going to judge, he always forewarns, he always tells us, he always gives the person a chance to repent. So when I hear somebody getting upset about God sending somebody to hell, one of the first things I think is, first off, God does not send people to hell. That person chose to. They rejected Jesus, and that's the choice they made. Number two, that person that has rejected Jesus, throughout their life there has been time and time again where Christ tried to speak to their heart through the Holy Spirit, and they rejected. Here for 40 years, Jeremiah is going to be preaching and proclaiming, judgment is coming, repent. They don't listen, which then takes us to our second point here at the beginning. Jeremiah 4.14, God's heart breaks for his people. Listen to this verse. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? God's heart is aching for the nation of Israel here. He wants them to change. He wants them to repent. He wants them to be obedient children. They're choosing not to. So since they're choosing not to, judgment has come. There's a passage, I believe it's in chapter 5, which we're not going to cover tonight, where God basically says, and I'm paraphrasing this, he goes, I have no other options. He goes, I have to judge you. You guys aren't listening, and that's something he has to do. This also breaks Jeremiah's heart. Look at Jeremiah 4, verse 19. Look at this. Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pained in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard, oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is plundered. Suddenly my tents are plundered and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? Jeremiah's heart 
breaks also. Now, real quick, before we move on with this, we as Christians struggle with this last point. It's amazing as Christians, and this, I don't know why it happens, it seems like the longer we walk with the Lord, not for everybody, but for a lot of us, the less our heart breaks when we see people making stupid choices. When we first get saved, we realize what God just saved us out of the pit and the mess and the muck. And so when we see somebody make a stupid choice, we say, hey man, I was just there. I just struggled that. I just went through that. But now that after walking with the Lord for a couple of decades, we see somebody mess up, we think, my goodness, isn't God just smite them right now? Just take those people out of the world. The world would be a lot better place. We could just start over from scratch. We see that hard happening. It's amazing as Christians how angry and unforgiving and unloving we can become. Jeremiah's heart is breaking. Very simply put, if God's heart breaks for somebody, then your heart should break for him too. So when Jesus wept over Jerusalem and wept over them before they killed him, our heart should weep for those people that even want to cause us harm. Our heart should weep for those people that aren't saved. Our heart should weep for people that are making dumb choices in life that brings judgment on them, but yet our heart still breaks for them. Jeremiah could have easily sat here and said, you know what, guys? For four decades I'm going to preach to you. You're going to reject me. Fine, forget this. You guys asked for this. No, his heart breaks for him. So that's our background. Judgment is coming from the north, Babylon. God's heart breaks for his people. Jeremiah's heart breaks for you. Never let your heart get so hard in Christ that you can't break for somebody as making choices like that aren't smart. Now, why is judgment coming? Four reasons here real quick. Now, before we get into this, look at our verse here that we put down, Galatians 6. This is a very famous verse. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This is one of the most straightforward points in the whole Bible. I've been walking with the Lord for 19 years, and I still forget this point. Now, we live in a farming community. If you plant soybeans, what comes up? Soybeans. If you plant corn, what comes up? Corn. If I do dumb things in life that feeds my flesh and sinful, guess what happens? Corruption, sin, disappointment, struggles. That's what happens. If I spend time in the Lord, and I spend time in prayer and in the Word, and I invest in my spiritual life, guess what happens? I walk away blessed. It is one of the most simple concepts in the entire Bible. If you do spiritually good things and try to go deeper in your walk with the Lord, good things happen. Now, I'm not making this some type of prosperity thing. Don't take it that way. Spiritually speaking, you grow in the Lord in peace. But if you do things in life that do not line up with God's word, what do you think is going to happen? It's a very simple, straightforward thing. Well, this is what happened to Israel here. They did things that did not line up with God. Judgment came. Their actions, point one, did not line up with God. Look at verse 18. Your ways and your doings have procured these things for you. This is your wickedness because it is bitter, because it reaches to your heart. Very simply put, their actions were sinful. We talked about this verse last week, verse 17. You brought these things on yourself. I'll tell you, one of the hardest things to do in counseling is when somebody comes up and their world is completely and utterly falling apart. And you get through all the junk of the world and you finally get down to the root of the problem and you realize the root of the problem is them. So when they're sitting there and their world's falling apart and the only thing you can say is, I love you and God loves you, but these are the consequences of the choices you made. Well, it's a difficult thing to tell somebody. It's true. This is what's happened to Israel. The consequences of the choices they're made brought judgment. Now look back on your life, especially if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. When spiritually you're doing things that are right, things click. When you do choices that don't line up with God's will, usually runs into problems. Now, why don't we learn this right away? Well, look at our second point. Their heart became hard. 
Jeremiah 5.3, O Lord, are, you, are your eyes not on the truth? You have stricken them, but they are not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. Have you ever met somebody that has refused to receive correction? A term that we don't use too often, but it's a good biblical term. It's called a scoffer. Proverbs uses that a lot. This is somebody that you can go to them and tell them what you are doing is wrong and it will cause problems in your life, but they still choose not to listen. You know what the Bible says to do to a scoffer? Get away from them. See, we still think we can talk to somebody. We still think we can convince them that those actions are wrong. That's between them and the Holy Spirit. I don't know how much time I used to spend out here at church talking to people, convincing them their choices they were making were bad. You know how they will learn that their consequences are bad? And they get hurt. When they get hurt, hopefully they learn. The problem is, look at our verse one more time in verse 3. They refuse to receive correction. They make their face harder than rock. I tell you, one of the saddest things I see out here at church is when somebody reaches this part of hardness of their heart where they just don't care anymore. They just don't care, which takes us to point number three. They quit listening. See, God never quit speaking through the Spirit, but they quit listening. To whom shall I speak and give warning? Jeremiah 6.10, that they may hear. Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised. See, that phrase circumcised, we talked about that last week, that represents a cutting off of the flesh and a newness of life. Their ears are uncircumcised. They're not even listening to what God has to say. If you know somebody in your life that is not listening to what God has to say, prayer, I always pray for them, is where Jesus said, Lord, give them ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking. Because that's what it comes down to. I mean, just stop and think for a second. I hope this is not you. But do you know somebody that meets these first three points? Their actions cause problems. Their heart has become hard towards it. And point three, they're just not even listening. If that's somebody you know, they're in a backslidden condition, to be quite honest, judgment is coming into their life. Not because God is mean, but because God loves them so much, he's going to allow things to come into their life to get their attention. God allows Babylon to come down from the north to judge Israel. Why? Because he loves them so much. Get their attention. Now let's just stop here for a second. Somebody got any quick questions, comments about anything we've covered here thus far of our background and also why is judgment coming? Their actions, the hardness of their heart, and their lack of listening. Alrighty. Now we stop right there for a second because the fourth one falls more into my lap here a little bit. Look at Jeremiah 5. Look at verse 12. We're talking about the prophets. They have lied about the Lord. And said, It is not he, neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. And the prophets become wind. The word is not in them, thus it shall be done to them. What they're saying there in verses 12 and 13, Jeremiah is speaking judgments coming. You know what the rest of the prophets are saying? Oh, don't listen to Jeremiah. Peace. Peace is coming. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that at all. Well, that's out there today. You know, if you've got satellite or cable or anything like that, there's probably about 10, I'm not exaggerating, probably 10, 15 Christian stations that you can go flip through. If you go flip through them, yes, there's some good ones, but a lot of the stations, if you flip through them, it's just a promise of peace and prosperity every time you go there. But there's this one guy that just really irks me, really annoys me, and he says if I send him money, he'll send me a coin. And it's got a verse in Deuteronomy in it, and I keep this coin in my pocket, and I rub this coin, and it's the power to get wealth. That's what it is. That guy right there is a verse 12 and 13. He's the wind. I've seen also pastors, I didn't very famous pastors that come right out and say that there's not a reason to speak about hell. There's not a reason to speak about Jesus being the only way. There's not a reason to do these things. Those guys are verses 12 and 13. They are there. And I joke about this, but I'm really kind of serious. Anytime someone says, hey, I saw this pastor on TV. What do you think of? I usually try to interrupt them and say, please don't ask. Because if you ask, it means I probably have to say something mean, and I don't really want to say something mean. So let's just not even ask me what I think of that person. Not that every guy on TV is bad, and I want to make that clear. There's a lot of them that aren't good. And they are exactly this right here. They're promising peace, even though the world is falling apart. Jump ahead to verse 30, if you will, of chapter 5. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy 
falsely. And the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? Look at that phrase, my people love to have it so. One of the dumbest things you could ever do as a church is preach about hell. One of the dumbest things you could do is preach about sexual purity. Preach about being in the word. Because once you do those things, you're going to step on somebody's toes. So really, if you really want your church to grow, just don't talk about anything bad. Keep it simple. I like to call it Christian cotton candy. It tastes good. You just walk away happy, and everybody's happy. The problem is, as a pastor, and this is going to come up in a few chapters, we have a spiritual responsibility to speak the truth. And one of the things I hate doing, but I do it, is when I find out that someone is making a choice that's not good in their life, and I feel led to go talk to them and sit down and say, listen, I'm not here to judge, I'm not here to pick, but... It's my spiritual responsibility to tell you this action that you're doing is going to cause problems. It's not a fun thing to do, but it's a biblical thing you have to do. I would much rather to stay up here and not teach through Jeremiah. Let's just teach through, let's think of a good verse here. How about Psalms 37 where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. See, we could just talk about that all night. God just wants to bless you and make you happy. We could just keep repeating that. The problem is you're going to leave this little sanctuary and you're going to go out into the world and guess what? You're going to get flat tires literally and physically and life and spiritually. And then you're going to say, well, wait a second. I thought God was supposed to delight me. I thought God was supposed to do everything for me. Why am I the one getting the bad diagnosis? Why am I the one that lost my job? Why am I the one with my marriage falling apart? Why am I the one that has no friends? And then you come to me and say, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you about it, but I can give you more cotton candy. It just doesn't work. The truth of the scriptures is that we have to preach what is set before us. And the truth is there is good and there's bad, and it's a struggle in this life sometimes, but we stay focused on the Lord. The prophets and the priests, and during Jeremiah's time, they weren't speaking the truth. Jeremiah is saying, Babylon's coming down to destroy us. The prophets said, ignore him. Jeremiah is saying, we need to change our ways. The prophets are saying, nope, you just go do whatever you want. It doesn't work that way. Look at the verse we put down here in 2 Timothy 4. This is, is this verse not just the perfect verse of society today? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine of according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside. To That's what they want. People just want to hear what they want to hear. I mean, we live in a society today, if there's something on television you don't want that, that bothers you, those commercials come up of the starving kids in Africa, what do you do? You just flip the station. I don't want that. You're listening to the news on the radio. Something comes up, a tragic accident. I don't want to hear that. Same thing spiritually. I don't want to come to church. Listen, Pastor, I'm giving up an hour of my evening on Wednesday. I'm giving up an hour and a half of my uh, weekend. Don't don't sit here and start talking to me about sin and making better choices. Just entertain me. Fill me. No, that, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to teach you. Our responsibility is to speak the truth. See, Jeremiah had a really tough calling. As he spoke the truth, as we mentioned in our introduction a couple weeks ago, there is not one place in the Bible where it says Jeremiah had any fruit. Not one convert. Not one time did someone say, oh, Jeremiah. I agree with you. This guy did this for 40 plus years and had one of the most fruitless ministries you've ever seen. But he did exactly what God told him to do. He spoke truth no matter what happened. That's a tough calling. Why did judgment come upon Israel? Their actions were sinful. Their heart became hard. They refused to listen to the Lord and the spiritual leadership failed them by not seeing truth. That's what happened to Israel. A lot of the same things I tell you are happening to us today. Now, before we finish up with this, anybody got any quick questions, comments about any of this here before we head on? Okay, what's the result of all this? This is pretty straightforward. Look at verse 23 in chapter 4. Emptiness. I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens fled. I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his anger. Now, I'm not trying to pick. I'm not trying to judge. But if you're in this position, or if you have a loved one, and they're doing these four things, their life is going to become empty and void. 
if their actions aren't lining up with Scripture, if they're blatantly living in sin like they're not supposed to, judgment's going to come. If their heart is becoming hard towards the Lord because they don't want to give up their lives to Him, judgment's going to come. If they refuse to listen to the spiritual truth, judgment's going to come. If as a pastor or spiritual leadership, we quit teaching the truth, judgment's going to come. And what's going to happen, verses 23 through 26? It's going to be a spiritual emptiness wasteland. That's what's going to happen. And my goodness, if you look at America today, it is a spiritual emptiness wasteland. Because we are doing these four things right now. I just read an article where they said, do you realize what the third biggest religion in the world is today? Unchurched. People that just willfully choose to not be involved in religion. They said that's actually the third biggest group now in the world is people that just willfully say, I don't want to be involved in, in church at all. It's becoming this spiritual wasteland where we have a responsibility to be a light and a witness. So what are we supposed to do? Two things. Let's talk about what we're supposed to do. First one, verse 30. Take off the paint. Look at verse 30. And it says, When you are plundered, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with chrism, chrism, excuse me, crimson, though you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, though you enlarge your eyes with paint, in vain you will make yourself fair. Your love will despise you. They will seek your life. Take the paint off your face. Now, I'm not teaching about makeup. I'm not, I would not do that. My favorite quote on makeup, and I've shared this with you before, is J. Vernon McGee. He says, if the bar needs painting, you paint it. Some of you gals, if you need makeup, by golly, put it on, okay? We're the ones that have to look at you. I don't have a problem. And some of you men, if you want to do that too, I don't know. That's up to you. But the point is, take the paint off. Now, you may say, this is, this is actually a biblical concept. Take the paint off. Flip with me to 2 Kings 9. 2 Kings 9. This is what I like about Wednesdays. We get to get into this type of stuff because on a Sunday we probably wouldn't have time to, but on Wednesday we're going to get into this. We get to talk about Jezebel. Jezebel is the ultimate bad girl in the Bible. Ultimate bad girl in the Bible. I, I can't think of a woman in the Bible that's worse than Jezebel. If you want to go read about Jezebel, talk about a soap opera of Jezebel. That is unbelievable. Well, here in 2 Kings 9, verse 30, there's this guy by the name of Jehu that has been ordained by God to go take out the leadership of Israel, to kill them in judgment, because Jezebel is such a horribly wicked woman. Verse 30 of 2 Kings 9. Now, when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And what did she do? Verse 30. She put paint on her eye and adorned her head and looked through a window. Jezebel knows Jehu has been sent by God to kill her. What's the first thing Jezebel does? She puts on makeup. Isn't that interesting? That's a spiritual picture to show when our heart is not right with the Lord and we don't want to see people to see how dark and sinful we are, we put the spiritual paint on so that way we look good. See, Jeremiah was telling the Israel at the time, take the paint off. You're covering up your sin with makeup. Jezebel knows judgment is coming. So what does she do? She covers herself up with make it. Then, verse 31, Then as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? And he looked up at the windows and says, Who's on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. And he said, Throw her down. So he threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the, hus on the horses, and it trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank and said, Go now to see this accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went out to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishabite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field and the plot of Jezreel. So they should not say, Here lies Jezebel. Wow. Covering the face up with paint didn't help out Jezebel so awful much at that point. Now that's one of those stories that we normally don't teach in Sunday school out here, but quite the story. I find it once again utterly fascinating that this woman, when faced with the man that was sent by God to kill her, first thing she does is put me Now, some people have looked at this and said, well, maybe she was trying to seduce him. 
at this point, I'm not trying to pick on any women here, and I'm not going to tell you how old Jezebel was at this point because there's going to be a woman here that's that age, and I'm not trying to make a comment on how you look physically. She was past the point of being able to seduce a guy. I'll just see it that way, physically. She, she put the makeup on. It didn't do any good. Judgment is coming, and she's trying to look good. This is what Jeremiah is telling the people in Israel. Judgment is coming, and you're just trying to look good. It doesn't do any good. Spiritually speaking, sometimes we've got to take the paint off and say, Lord, my heart is not right. I am doing things I shouldn't be doing. God, help me to make better choices. That's the first point. Look at our second one here. Jump back to Jeremiah chapter 6, please. Jeremiah 6. When the Lord is trying to give counsel to Israel on what to do, note once again, he says judgment is coming, but he's also trying to tell them these are the right things to do. Verse 16 of Jeremiah 6, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Now, in any church you're in, there's always a debate of old ways, new ways, etc. In this passage right here, what God is trying to tell the nation of Israel, get back to the old way of doing things. Because your new way of doing things is bringing judgment on you. So, very simply put, if there's a spiritual condition in your life, or if you know a loved one that is not making good godly choices right now, and they've kind of covered themselves up with paint a little bit, the best counsel you could give them is go back to the old godly ways that will bless you and encourage you, help you make right choices. Go back to the old ways. The verse that we put down here, Genesis 26, 18, and I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I was reading a commentary by a pastor, and he brought this point together, and I'd never seen this before, and I thought it was fascinating. We don't have time to turn there, but in Genesis 26, what's happening is Isaac is out, and he's looking for water for his uh, flock. And what happens is he can't find any water because all of Abraham's wells that Abraham dug, that the enemy came in and filled in all of Abraham's wells. They were all plugged. So what Isaac did is instead of going and digging new wells, what did he do? He unplugged the old wells. And this pastor made a spiritual point. He goes, sometimes it's not something new you need. You just have to unplug the old because you know what works. They knew that there was water in those wells. That's why they were filled in. That's what the enemy's trying to do. Isaac knew he didn't have to go dig a new well. He had to go unplug the old one. Spiritually speaking, if things aren't right where they're supposed to be, I'm not trying to condemn or attack. Are there some wells that need to be unplugged in your life? Get back to the old ways. I've shared with you before, I remember a few years ago, I was at a spiritually dry place in my life, and I decided what I needed. I, I needed a new devotional. That's what I decided I needed. I went to the Christian bookstore at the time. If you've ever been to the Christian bookstore, it's overwhelming. They have a devotional for anything. So I bought a couple of devotionals. And I knew that these devotionals were the newness I needed in my life to spark my spiritual revival. Got home, read some of the devotionals, whatever, and guess where they ended up? Oh, no. I didn't need a new devotional. I needed the old well unplugged. I already know what I'm supposed to do. I already know what the Bible says. See, so often we sit here and people come up and say, man, I'm dry, I'm empty, uh, my, my life's just not right, I feel things aren't clicking, what do I need to do? Sometimes you just need to really simply unplug the old well and do the things you do. Well, that's too simple. I need something bigger. I need something better. I need this spark. No, you don't. Just get the water flowing again. Once you get the water flowing in the old wells again, go back to the old paths. You'll be blessed. You'll be refreshed. That's what happens. So in our study here tonight, Judgment's coming. God's heart breaks for Israel. Jeremiah's heart breaks for Israel. Yes, they deserve this judgment. Their actions were wrong. Their heart was hard. They weren't listening to the Lord. The spiritual leadership failed. The result of that is emptiness. But at the same time, too, God's trying to tell them, lose the fakeness, take off the paint. He's also trying to say, get back to the old ways. You'll be blessed. Boy, he always gives grace. Old Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything that we covered tonight? they uh, want to share before we close up. Okay. Don't forget, no church next Wednesday. We'll pick it up again here later on in Jeremiah 7 when we get back together. And uh, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, as we just come to you now one week away from Christmas, I pray that we would just have this focus in our heart to truly be on you and the true reason on why we do things. Lord, once again, lots of people traveling. I pray you'd be with them. Keep safe. They travel to them in all ways. All Lord, once again, help us just to get back to the old paths. Help us to take the pain off. Help us to live for you in all that we say. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.